series um, is Trouble and Triumph. And you may not have realised it, but Andrew was a part of that series about a month ago now. He did uh, David, the trouble David got in, the triumph that followed. It's a bit of a pattern, actually. When, when I was asked to pick a Bible character that I could share on the family service, you try and think of one that is anything other than trouble to triumph. It's like a pattern or even a principle or even a purpose. God's purpose is that we kind of know trouble, but there's triumph. To come. If you think about it, Joseph's trouble was that he was in prison, falsely accused of something he didn't do. But if he wasn't there, he would never have interpreted the butler's dream and never have become the prime minister of Egypt. Moses, well, he was the classic person that failed. His life's calling, looking after father-in-law's sheep for 40 years was where he found himself, but there, the burning bush experience. And Jonah only learnt to really pray, it seems, in the belly of a whale. And each of them went on to triumph. And so, to Samson. If you've got a Bible, and I know you have, because there's one in the pew, I'm not going to use the overhead this morning at all, I would really like you to get hold of the Bible and open it up and... Um, because we're going to look at very specific words in very specific verses. It's not going to be the whole thing. It's just going to be some verses that um, stood out, some particular words that stood out. And if you've got your Bible, then go to Judges, which is towards the start of the Bible. Um, and it's chapter. we're going to start in chapter 13. It's the story of Samson. And we're going to go and look specifically at verse 1. It says this, again, okay, you can look up now. It just says, again. It's a pattern. What we're looking at this morning, what we find out in our lives, just gets replayed over and over and over again. So when it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, they'd done it heaps of times before. It was just another time. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Again, they do evil, so the Lord delivers them into the hands of the Philistines. I had this kid turn up in my PE class quite a few years ago, a few years ago now, and he came with quite a reputation. And I thought, how do I deal with this kid? Because he'll wreck my class. It's just a PE class out on the Oval. And so I determined, I haven't really, I've done tried this once before, but I tried this with him. I said to him right from the start, I said, Jack, and you don't know him, so don't put a second name to that. Um, although I could actually think of a few Jacks over the years. <laughs> um, Jack, you love sport. I love sport. We're going to have a great time. 
But if you stop making the rest of the kids and me having fun, I'm going to kick you out of the class. I'm going to kick you out of the class. There's going to be a consequence to your behaviour. Put it on him right from the start. First lesson, crazy man. I said, Jack, go and sit in the grandstand. It's just there so he's not too far away. And he's so down because he loves his sport and he's good at it. Sits there for the rest of the lesson. I go and talk to him afterwards and say, Jack, you love sport. I talked to him as if I wasn't even angry with him. Just chatted to him. Start of the next lesson, I said, Jack, boom, enjoy the sport. Get about five minutes in, he's running amok. Jack, go to the grandstand. I reckon I did that five times in a row. It was really hard. Again and again and again. So does Israel. So do I. But our other series that we're doing at the moment is called A New. And that struck me as I was thinking about this last night. Jack was given another chance, a new. I treated him as at the end of the, the lesson that he missed. Well, I wasn't going to hammer him. I just gave him the chance to start the next lesson, a new. A new just means once again. Israel and Jack were a pattern. Once again, Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then once again in verse 3, we see the Lord delivers them. An angel of the Lord. We could preach a sermon about that. That could be Jesus, God, an angel. The angel of the Lord is representative. It's God appeared to her, that is Manoah, was the husband, and we don't get the name of the wife, but God was going to deliver Israel, even though they'd done evil, after 40 years, he was going to deliver them. An angel of the Lord, verse 3, appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, trouble to triumph. There's another one. Hannah, how many more? Elizabeth, think of them. How many have gone through the trouble of being childless? But you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite is a person that is set apart and dedicated to God. It says there in the next bit, Set apart to God from birth. He will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Do you know the word holy can be best understood as being set apart, consecrated, dedicated to God, for God. It's the same principle as the Nazarite. When we come to faith in Jesus, we have the righteousness of Christ and we have been set apart by Christ Jesus to do good works that God planned in advance for us to do. We've been set apart. So too the Nazarite in that day was set apart for God. 
to do the work that God had for him. Well, the wife goes to Manoah, the husband, and says, I've had a visitation. I'm going to have a baby. And if we go down to, say, verse 7, and she's kind of saying what the angel said. But the angel said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then drink no wine or fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Now I don't know about your mums, but I know about my mum. And my mum remembers every word that was ever spoken in my life from conception to almost my death at this stage. It's amazing at the tea table how many times she will say, I remember the time Jim said, or this happened to Graham, or that happened to Peter, and she knows the detail down to the finest detail. Do you know, she's added on this little bit that wasn't in the previous verse, but I'm going with the fact that the angel did in fact say this, that God said these very words. She remembered them like mums do, and she said them. She said this, He will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. And I want you to tuck that one in the back of your mind because we're coming back to it. It wasn't just from his birth he was set apart for God. It wasn't just when you come to faith in Jesus Christ that you've been set apart unto death. It's the whole story. Do you know, uh, who can remember Keith Green? Maybe you can't. If you're young, you wouldn't. Keith Green was an amazing fellow, musician, songwriter, who in a very short time did the most amazing work for God. He didn't slay a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey, but he just did amazing stuff. He wrote the book, No Compromise. And within a very... He, he brought Bob Dylan to the Lord. He, he was an amazing guy. Within a very short time, though, there was an incident where his wife and a couple of his children watched... Keith get into an aeroplane and with at least one of his children, I can't remember how many, maybe two, I don't remember. But the plane took off and it just crashed right in front of Melody Green's eyes. And all few years later, Melody came to town and she was at a conference and she taught the entire conference this song. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. She went through the tragedy of seeing her husband die and her child, but she was able to teach thousands of people that day the truth of when God starts something, he finishes it. From birth to death. Keep that in your back of your mind. Okay, so Manoah in verse 8, the man um, prayed to God. O oh Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us to come again, to send him to come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Well, that's a pretty reasonable prayer. It's a simple prayer, 
And more often than not, we learn to pray, pray when we're in trouble. But as simple as the prayer is, it's a cry, and the Bible encourages us to cry, cry out to the Lord. It's a simple answer that God gives. The answer, I'm not going to spend much more time on this, but the answer is basically just obey. The angel says, just obey what you've been told. Do you know, we can complicate the Christian life. We can complicate our entire life by, by not just doing the simple things or understanding the simple thing. The simple thing is to obey God, to trust and to obey God. And that's the answer Manoah was given. In verse 25, now the baby is born. It says in verse 24 of chapter 13, The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. I wonder if you've ever recognised the Spirit of God stirring in your life. He has and does. I can remember uh, when I was 15 years old. It was a night service here, a gospel service. I know that the church, my memory says the church had prayed and fasted for a period of time. There were a lot of youth, a lot of families, a lot of people in the church at that time, and we had a coffee shop, style of coffee shop, uh, next door in the old church. And I remember I was about 15 years old, and church was fun, and church was good, and there was never a time where I didn't believe God, but that doesn't mean you follow God. And you kind of endured church, I suppose, would be the way I would have described it when I was that age. And you look forward to the youth involvement over, the, over in the old church. But that night, and I can only say it now, I could never have put this into words then or understood what was going on. The Spirit of God stirred me that night. I was not looking for it. I certainly didn't hear anything in the sermon, which is encouraging me this morning. Um, it wasn't anything in the sermon that kind of grabbed me and shook me and stirred me. It's just that I sat over there and I thought, what's going on here? Am I going to be sitting in this church for the rest of my life and I'm not going to actually come to Jesus? Because I believed it all. There was, a, there was a verse of scripture, the summer is past, the harvest is over, and still you're not saved. I learnt that verse of scripture in the old Sunday school hall at two o'clock in the afternoon when I'd rather be kicking a football. But I remembered that verse. It troubled me that night. I thought, I could be sitting here in this church and I could never be saved because I believed in salvation. I believed there was a heaven. I believed there was a hell. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I kind of believed all that. Carol came home with Sheila and went and saw Sylvie Palladino the other night at a, at a um, concert somewhere in town here at a church. And Sylvie's the, the woman that if you watch the carols on TV, she's the one that kind of 
has that moment where the Spirit of God does descend and you have a sense that we're worshipping God, albeit for just a, a little while. She talks about her Lord. She's an amazing singer, but amazing testimony. Carol came straight home and lying in bed. She said, oh, she said the thing that made the most sense to me. She gave her testimony and part of it was she heard God knocking on her door and she opened the door, but the screen door was remained closed. And the screen door separated the visit from the person there and the person inside. And she didn't really come to know the Lord until that screen door. She could see, she believed, she understood. She could, she could kind of almost know it in a sense. But whilst she had not surrendered her life to God, there was always a screen door. And it prevented... God from entering in, truly entering into her life. So I had that experience when I was 15 years old. I went and sat in the Zephyr car out here in the car park. It was the Holloway boys. It was their car. I sat at the back of that car and by the end of that night, I did what I had never even thought of doing during the sermon or that day, or leading up to that day, I gave my life, as I understood it, to the Lord. It was more so a sense, I've got to stop doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this. Kind of, I remember that being... But the next day when I went to Norwood High School, I was in year 9 or year 10, it was as if I was walking on a cloud. No one told me to feel like that, or to expect to feel like that. I just thought, what is going on here? Now, I couldn't really understand it, and in a sense, I don't really understand it today, except to say, when the Spirit of the Lord stirs, he just does. He doesn't even ask your permission. He more likely would stir if you really sought him, I suppose. I think the Bible tells us that. It's clear. But even if you're not looking for God this morning, you've come because you just had to come. It's a part of the experience. It's a part of the social order of life for you. Do you know God can stir you in such a way that no preacher can preach it in that way and no book and manual can help you through? When the Spirit of God stirs, it's just the Spirit of God. And if you haven't had a sense of the Spirit of God stirring you, I would say you probably haven't thought about it. God has stirred you. God has moved you. I love Mark Parker's... Um, I was hoping his family would be here this morning. Mark Parker's part of his testimony was brought up in the church, a bit like me, missionary kid, kind of always believed it, but he was making out his life and he was sitting on a bus in Melbourne somewhere. He wasn't looking for God. But he picked up a ticket that was on the ground, I think, or it was a billboard. No, it was a ticket on the ground, and he turned it over, and it had some simple words on it. It just, boom, came crashing in like a wave. Who's the painter from Broken Hill? Pro Heart. Pro Hart standing on a tennis court one day and the wind's blowing strong and the Gideon Bible used to be a Gideon. And people used to say, why do you give out Bibles when people just tear them up and throw them in the bin? What good has that done? 
You know, but then I'd say, well, there's testimonies of people with it. But this Bible was torn up and thrown in the bin and ripped up and probably used for cigarettes, as they often might have been done. But on this particular day, one page of a Gideon's Bible blew across the tennis court, pushed into Pro Hart's leg. He picked it up and he got saved. And forevermore after that, he used to do Pro Hart's on the back of Gideon Bibles and hand them out himself. When the Spirit of God stirs, it's the Spirit of God stirring. It's not a human being. It's not an event. It's not an order. It's not just your emotions. God is about it, and God is stirring up Samson. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Samson's deeds except to say this. Look up Judges chapter 14, verse 6. I'm just going to read one thing he did. In fact, I'm going to read two things that he did. I'm in Judges chapter 14, verse 6. And it says this. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Pretty impressive. And I reckon that picture, probably pretty, pretty close to what he might have looked at metaphorically speaking, as he tore that line apart. You've come to the Lord, there's going to be stuff that's going to be coming after you, I can tell you. When I first came to the Lord, I used to get, I got a couple of phone calls, uh, horrific words, like 12 o'clock at night, uh, telling me what I should do with God and go back to playing footy. And I had phone calls that said, I'm going to come to your place and kill you. You know, I had all sorts of weird things happen. When I first came to the Lord, back when I was 30 years old, when I came back to the Lord, stuff was coming at me left, right and centre. And stuff will come at us. Pop over to Judges chapter 15, just one other story about Samson. You could, there are a few more, but these are the two that I've picked up on. Judges 15, verse 14, it says... As Samson approached Leah, the Philistines came toward him shouting. I've had a bit of that this morning. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand Philistines. Do you know the reason why I picked those two verses? Because it says before he did anything, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in great power. What's the point of playing this machine here if it's not plugged in? It doesn't work. The machinery is all there. But you have to be plugged in. And in both of these occasions, he just didn't, the Bible says he just didn't do it. It said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in great power. We've had some Psalms read to us this morning. Psalm 104, don't look it up. Verse 4 says, Look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. That, if I said it, in my way, is plug in. Just plug in. 
when I was a kid, before I was 15 in this church, we could learn a psalm, Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. It says, blessed is the man if you don't sit, walk, or stand in the wrong place with the wrong people, with the wrong attitude, the wrong mindset. If you, if that group over there is, you know, I can't believe how many kids take drugs today. I cannot believe it. When I was at Norwood High School, it was yeah, probably 5%, and we always regarded them as the lunatic fringe. That wasn't the norm. I'm a teacher, and I'm telling you, most kids take drugs. Most, not less. Doesn't matter what school you go to, it depends on what context. If it's a music festival, I reckon 80% of them, at least 80%. If it's a, a senior school party, huge numbers of them take drugs. You want to take drugs? Hang out with the guys that take drugs. You can say, I'm, I'm strong, I won't do it. I'm telling you, the Bible says you will. Those that walk, sit and stand in the wrong company who say the wrong things, it says mockers there, scornful. Those that make a joke of God. You say, I believe in God, but I've got to stand there. It's part of my, it's part of my it's being set apart for God. Be careful. Be careful. Or you will end up being a mocker and a scorn of God before you really know it. Well, there's another one. Now, there's another one. Um, it's called the lap. Sit, walk, and stand. Now, we had a magnificent play here that showed us that Samson ended up with his head on Delilah's lap. Now, Delilah is representative of, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the wicked ways, the counsel of the ungodly, the scoffers and the mockers. Okay, that's Delilah's camp. That's the world. He put his head on Delilah's lap. I put my head on Carol's lap, but it's because I want my hair tickled. And it's because, and she lets it happen because she wants to watch Home and Gardens. And I've been watching footy, and I'm watching footy, and Carol says, Do we have to watch footy? And I say, Do you want to tickle my hair? And she says, Yeah. So we have a transaction. I think it's godly. I give her the remote. She gets the remote for a short time. She gets the remote, but I put my head on her lap, but I'm putting my head on the lap of the person I'm allowed to. I've said to year nine kids in health, one of the greatest things you'll ever have is someone that you can cuddle up with in bed and not be arrested or feel like you're doing the wrong thing. And feel like it's the right thing. It's called intimacy. Now, I have an intimate relationship with my wife. Samson was never meant to have an intimate relationship with the world. And neither are you. 
You're set apart, holy. Samson was a Nazarite, no haircut, no wine, representative of the fact that he was set apart for God. Carol puts me to sleep when she tickles my hair. Samson, in a way, was put to sleep, not just because he put his head on Delilah's lap, but he kind of just spent time in the wrong place and, in a sense, got put to sleep. We know the story. We know what happened. And it's, uh, I've preached this before in this, in this church. I remember saying it more than once because I'd never forgotten it. And that was um, to Thomas Playford's great-grandson. Could be great-great, I don't know. But he was a minister, Baptist minister at Gummaraka. We went up there for a breakfast, some of us. And he said, he spoke about Samson. He said, it's the saddest verse in the Bible. I never forgot him saying that. And it says this. It's, if you've got your Bible, it's Judges chapter 16. It's verse 20. So we pick up where the play almost left off. And it says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson's got his head on her lap. She's given him a haircut. He wakes up from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. That was the bit that he said is the saddest verse he's ever seen in the Bible. See, he had no spirit of the Lord that came upon him, as in the other cases. He had no power. What's worse, he had no idea that he had no power. He had no hair. He had a lot of nose in that particular part of the story. And of course, the hair just means he had no relationship that was ongoing. He, he was out of the will of God. He was a Nazarite set apart for God, and for 20 years, the Bible said, he did it. Ever been a leader for 20 years? You get tired. He did it for 20 years, the Bible says. He led Israel to confidence, freedom, uh, a sense that we can do this. He, he fulfilled the purposes of God. But at a given moment here in his life, he had no power, he had no hair, and the Bible says he didn't even know about it either. Huge word desensitization, but it basically means you, you, you fail to have your senses that are operating. That gut feel, that sense, that conviction. You fail to act upon it, then you fail to even have a sense of it. That's how far he'd gone. It says in verse 21, Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding in the prison. I don't know if there's a picture of someone's life that I've just read out right now. There was a movie called Groundhog Day. It, 
you know, your church goes, you don't sit with a TV on, so you wouldn't know it. But I did see it. And Groundhog Day is a movie where this guy, reporter guy, just wakes up in the morning and it's the same day just being repeated. The same moments occur in his day. Same people walk across his path. And he tries desperately to escape. But he goes to bed. The next day he wakes up. It's the same day. And it goes over and over and over again. Samson's going to experience Groundhog Day. If you're blind, you cannot fight. That's one thing you cannot do. You don't know where the punches are coming from. It's in a sense, you are just totally vulnerable. Out there with my eyes shut, I can't see. If you're chained up and you're grinding around in circles, you're not seeing anything new, anything different. It's Groundhog Day. He's just going round and round and round. Isn't that amazing, the word but God? But God. It's the pattern. It's the principle. It's God's purpose. But God in your life. From birth until death, but God. You can, you know, you can be in the farthest off place. Like Mark Parker was in Melbourne. Not estranged from his family, but he was kind of running over there. But God, there was a ticket on the ground. Have a look at verse 22. It says, But the hair on the head, on his head, began to grow again after it had been shaved. Once again, Israel did evil in the sight of God. Once again, God delivered them over to the enemy. I kicked Jack out again and again and again. The next day, we'd start anew and Jack would run amok again. That's kind of the pattern that occurs. Even a part of that pattern, as I've already said, is it's in trouble that we kind of, God stirs the most in our lives. To the point where Jonah prayed a prayer from the belly of a whale, all he had spent himself on was running away from everything God had said. In fact, he was running so hard, he was up to committing suicide. He said, throw me over off the boat. We've got a storm here, and I know what we've got, storm, it's me. He knew a fair bit. He's saying, kill me, but I'm not going to Nineveh. That's how far he'd got. And if that's our life, it's a revolving door. It just goes round and round and round. But then a whale is his rescuer. But God sent a fish. And from the belly of the fish, he cries out to God. The Bible does not say what Samson prays, but we're absolutely sure when it says his hair began to grow that he was praying. And I'll finish with this. It says this in chapter 16, verse 30. Samson, I'll talk it through rather than read it. He's chained up between two pillars in the temple to the 
temple to the god Dagon. And the Philistines had won the victory, it would seem. He's blind. He can't really fight back. And he's chained up between two pillars. And then he prays a prayer and he says, Lord, give me strength one more time. In fact, it's there, so I'll read it. He says, let he says, then Samson reached towards the two central pillars. Oh, it's above. It says in verse 28, it says, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just one more. Just one more time, once again. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my eyes. And then the Bible says he brings those pillars in. And in verse 30, it says, thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Samson was set apart to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And for 20 years, he went around slaying them with, with jawbones. He set foxes' tails alight into their crops. He did all sorts of things. But on his death, the moment of his death, when to all apparent purposes, he was a complete failure... Blind, with no strength at that point, chained up, an absolute failure, doing Groundhog Day stuff, the same day, reoccurring over and over again. The Bible says he did more in that one moment than he did for the rest of his life. How amazing God is. From birth until death. I'm not just talking to old people this morning. I'm talking to young people that God has set you apart. And it's not for a ministry, a moment, a specific thing. It's for a life. And who can measure what God can do from birth to life? I want to finish. I want to read a psalm. No, in fact, it's from, it's from Isaiah. It says this. One, it's Isaiah chapter 37. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors... And then it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The only question is, does God care? And did God get the plan wrong for your life? Is God so weak? Does God lack strength? Because God will accomplish it. Do you know, um, Jack's in my class this year. The stories I was telling you uh, happened four years ago. And Jack's been in my class as a health, I'm doing teaching health in a classroom. Maybe it's because there's boundaries in the classroom. But I haven't kicked him out once. He's not my best student, but I wouldn't have the class without him because he says things that other kids don't say. And it makes, provides the catalyst for real conversations sometimes. Once again... Once again, we did evil, but once again, God delivered us. Because from birth to death, you've been set apart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that um, 
You do surprise us, and there's stuff we don't know, but it's no surprise. Every character that we look at in the Bible seems to walk the same path. Troubled triumph. Father, we want to thank you that our trouble that we have, maybe even today, is utterly in your hands. Thank you, Lord, that you knocked on a door and you said, if we open the door, you would come in and eat with us and fellowship with us, that our hair will grow, and that we would be a people whose leaf does not wither, that roots go down strong into you. Father, this has to be your work because you know how weak and frail we are as human beings. We are the people that walk and sit and stand and put our head to say in the lap of this world. We find it so easy to find ourselves moving in that direction. But Lord, you will once again rescue us. Enable us. Enable us as a church. Enable us as individuals, Lord. For he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.